Will you pray with me? Father, we join our voices and our hands with all of creation, with the mountains, the trees, the oceans. We join our voices with all of heaven, with all the angels. We ask and plead that you would take us up and further in, that we might see and know your grace, your love found in your Son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a couple Sundays ago, specifically June 13th, at the crack of dawn, myself, along with about 49 other people here from the crossing, left out of Kansas City Airport. We flew out of there on our way on a mission trip, eight days of being in a small town called Harmons, which is located in the interior of the island of Jamaica. It's a very small community, incredibly impoverished. Except for the student ministry leaders on the trip, everyone was either a high school student or their parents, as it was a parent-student thing we do each summer. This morning, I want to do something that I think is very biblical, and that is that I want to report back to you what God is doing through your prayers and efforts in a small part of the world. I want to thank you because God truly is using, whether you realize it or not, whether you think about it or not, God is using your prayers. God is using your giving, your generosity to make a real difference, to bring real change and hope here in Colombia and all over the world. But first, let's put this in some sort of biblical context so we can think about this biblically. And then I'll share with you a little bit of what we did. And finally, I'll end with uh, four lessons that I continue to learn as I return to Harmons each summer. Let's start in the book of Acts. We preached through the book of Acts a few years ago, and so some of you may remember that the book of Acts uh, picks up the time about the time that Jesus ascends into heaven. Remember, Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, he spends 40 days on earth, he ascends into heaven. That's where Acts starts, and it goes to about 60 AD, so it covers just under 30 years of time. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is a historian. He's telling us about the history of the early church, but he's doing more than that. Because Luke is not just a historian, he's also a teacher. And so what he's really burdened to do is tell us about the mission of the early church. And when you read through the gospel, or when you read through the book of Acts, what you see Luke is doing is he's showing us how the gospel overcomes every obstacle. How the message of Jesus Christ clears every hurdle that would keep people from hearing about God's great Son. And what we find is that wherever the gospel goes in the book of Acts, wherever it goes, people's lives are changed. Families are changed. Cities are changed. Nations are changed. See, that's true today, too. Wherever the gospel goes today, people's lives are changed. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. See, in order to understand what Luke's doing here, you have to understand this word, began. Because he says, in my former book, which was the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, I told you all the things Jesus began to do and teach up until his death and resurrection. But now in the book of Acts, I'm going to tell you about what Jesus continues to do today. See, now Jesus is still at work. 
His time isn't finished. It's not as if he's absent or silent. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is at work in your life. Jesus is at work in your family. He's at work in your office. He's at work at your school. He's at work in this church. He's at work around the world. Now think about that for just a moment. How would it affect you if tomorrow morning you walked into your office and before you did, before you got out of your car, you just said, God, I thank you that in Jesus Christ you're at work in this office today. Before you walk into school, God, I know you're at work here today. Give me eyes to see what you're doing. Before you go into the family after a day at work or after a day at school to say, God, Thank you that you're at work in my family right here, right now. I want to be a part of your work and what you're doing in this house. Jesus is at work today. One of the key verses in the book of Acts is found again in the first chapter, verse 8. It says, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says that when my spirit comes upon you, it directs you to be my witness, to represent me in Jerusalem. That's where they were all located at the time. In Judea, that's a little further providence away. In Samaria, that's the people that they ethnically hated. You'll be my witnesses even there all the way to the ends of the earth. And when you read through the Gospel or the book of Acts, what you find is, here's how Jesus did it. Jesus sent these people out to be his witnesses, and they couldn't stop talking about how Jesus had changed their life. They couldn't stop sharing the Gospel. No matter what the authorities did to them, they, they wouldn't shut up. See, they understood that in Jesus Christ, God had come down. That in Jesus Christ, God was righting all that was wrong with the world and with their own individual lives. They understood that in Jesus Christ, God was offering forgiveness and reconciliation and eternity and satisfaction and true, real life. And wherever they went, they talked about it. And when they prayed, they prayed for boldness. And they prayed for open doors and open hearts. And when they suffered, they rejoiced because that caused the gospel to go forward. And when given a choice, they did without so that the gospel would keep advancing. So they spoke of the gospel wherever they went. But you also see something else happen in Acts, and that is that they were extremely generous. See, wherever the gospel goes, wherever the gospel is believed, wherever the gospel sinks deep into a person's heart, they become more and more generous. Acts 2.45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. When you read about the history of the early church and you know understand the kind of people that made up the church, you realize that this is not a group of wealthy people giving out of their surplus or out of their abundance or out of their excess. You know, people in the early church in their own world would be considered at best what we might think of as very middle class, but probably most, the overwhelming majority, did far worse than that. These are people who it says in Scripture gave out of their poverty. 
course, there were some who were doing a little better, and we read about one in, in Acts 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. See, rich or poor didn't matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ had the same effect on both. It made people generous. Acts 11. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now pause. The Jerusalem Christians would have been Jewish people, ethnically at odds, ethnically almost, you could say, at war with the Gentiles that would have made up the church of Antioch. But during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Do you catch that? Here are these Jewish Christians who have been raised to uh, be at odds and at war with the Gentiles, who are different religiously, who are different family-wise, who are different politically, who, who look down on each other. But when presented with the need, the gospel had sunk so deep into their heart in such a short period of time that they were generous with people very much unlike them. See, that challenges me because I think it's somewhat easier to be generous with people like you, people that you respect or admire or think would do uh, what you would want them to do with your resources. Oh, but where the gospel makes an impact, you give according to people's need, even people you don't care for. And this story that started in Acts continued because we see Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, writing in about 200 A.D., uh, describe the church this way. He says, Contributions are voluntary and proportionate to each one's income. They are used to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls who are destitute of means and parents, and of old people, confined to the house, and as such have suffered shipwreck. Or any who are in the mines, or banished to the islands, or shut up in prison for their fidelity to God's church. See, Jesus Christ continues to build His church today. And He's doing it today the same way He's always doing it. For people sharing the gospel about what God has done in their life and through the generosity of Christians. So that gives you some context, biblical context to think about this mission trip some of us came back from. Let, let me tell you a little bit more about it and show you uh, uh, some pictures. First, let's set uh, the geographic contrast by showing you a map. Here's where Harmon's, maybe a little further south than I got on the map there, uh, but is in south central Jamaica. Now, um, we flew into Montego Bay, and it should take you not very long at all to get to Harmons. But if you've never been to a developing country or a, what in the past was called a third world country, it's hard to explain to you the conditions of the roads. They are absolutely incredibly horrible, and therefore it, what should have been a short drive takes about three hours, and you're in the middle of nowhere, a place that no one, even in Jamaica, ever visits. If you haven't been to a, a, 
a, a developing country, you might not know the housing situation, but here on the road are a couple houses you can see in the background, and we were told that the rich people live on the road. This house is further back up off the road. In Harmons, there is no uh, running water. No house has water in it. Uh, water is very scarce. There's no well. There's no spring. There's no source of water. Electricity is very, very limited. Some have it. Most don't. There are very few jobs to be had to support your family. The mission that we are partnered with as a church uh, called One by One provides the great majority of jobs in the area. This is a mom and pop mission that was started 25 years ago as a father's son went to help in Jamaica after Hurricane Gilbert and kept returning and more and more people asking to go and be a part of it. They built this uh, not that long ago called the Harmony House that you see there. And the Harmony House is where we stayed. There are bunk rooms back in there and that's the place that, that we stayed, ate our meals. There's a little store back there and, and, and people there don't have clothes or shoes or personal hygiene things. So each year when we go, each person, American person, takes 50 pounds in two different suitcases, 100 pounds of clothes and shoes and hygiene products with them. And then they're put in this store where they are sold for a very nominal, small price. But it's through your generosity that much of what we took went there, and it was put to good use and very appreciated. One of the things that we do is they, we built a greenhouse, and it provides jobs for uh, Jamaicans as they run the greenhouse, and it provides income for them because the, the, the vegetables that are grown there in the greenhouse are then sold out to the uh, coastal towns, the resorts and the coastal towns. And so you can see a couple of pictures of uh, people on our team working with the Jamaicans in the greenhouse. But most of what we did was build houses. And a house in Jamaica is about, just hold, hang there for one second. The houses in Jamaica are 12 by 15. So I say a house, anybody here would call it a room. They call it a house. There's no electricity. There's no running water. But what you see is that this is a foundation. You put your forms around. You throw in a bunch of rocks. And in the next picture, you'll see that you start filling in some concrete. And the rebar that's coming up out of the concrete, on that rebar, once it's all dried, we put these styrofoam walls with chicken wire around it. And then in the next few pictures, you'll see that we begin to make this mixed concrete and put it on the walls so that by the time you're finished, there's three layers on both sides and it will stand the test of the hurricane season. Now these are houses that, again, you and I call them rooms, like not connected to electricity, not connected to water, but people who get to them are incredibly thankful and joyful because it's the only time they've ever had anything at all. That's a doozy of a first step, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a pastor, not an engineer. Hopefully they got that figured out. Um, <laughs> So, so here's some people. You can see there a uh, uh, Jamaican woman in the front. You'll see in the next picture a little bit better shot of her. She and her kids, this was their first house they ever had. They'd been crammed into something probably a lot like this with their family, larger family. And now they were going to have their own. Sheldon, he had a family. And they were going to have their own house, their own room now. And we take them, uh, after we build the house, we get them together and we take them a flashlight because no electricity. And we say, Jesus is the light of the world. And we pray that this flashlight would bring light into your life. 
We say that, that, that the Bible is the Word of God, the foundation for our lives, and we pray that it would be the foundation for your life and your house and your future. And then we give them the keys, and we pray over them and dedicate it, and oftentimes they have tears in their eyes as they say, thank you, nobody's ever given me anything like this. Dedicating those houses to those families is one of the special moments in my life. We don't just build things. Sometimes we also go to something called an infirmary. And let me set that up for you and then I'll show you some pictures. The infirmary is oftentimes in Jamaica referred to as the poorhouse. Each county in Jamaica is required by the government to have a place that, that is for mentally and physically challenged people that no one will take care of. And so these people are, are quite literally, no exaggeration, dropped off and the overwhelming majority completely abandoned with no one ever visiting them. They have physical challenges, mental challenges. The, the staff are overworked and underpaid and they are under all kinds of stress and the care is absolutely deplorable. So what we do is we go in and spend time with them and you'll see some pictures here of Americans uh, sitting and spending time with the people in the infirmary, in the poorhouse. Some of these pictures you'll see just having a conversation, asking them about their life. Some people can answer and carry on a conversation more than others. Oftentimes you'll see somebody in a picture maybe reading a Bible with someone. It's amazing. You start Psalm 23, they'll finish it. If they ask you uh, to read them a certain portion of Scripture, there's a chance that they know it pretty well. See the bags they've got in some of these pictures? Those are the bags that our kids made at craft time at Kids Club. We took these bags and like a toothbrush and shampoo and uh, toothpaste and a pillowcase that said Jesus loves me on it. And we just took it down and gave it to these people. People who haven't had a visitor since the last team was there. People that no one celebrates their birthday, no one ever gives them a gift. And these bags, well, they were big hits. Oftentimes they teared up a gift. They'd even almost have a capacity to think about someone caring enough about them to give them a gift. One of the women at a year or so ago said to my wife, she goes, I listen for the airplanes. And we're like, we've been here quite a while. This is our fourth year. I've never heard an airplane. Never, not once. You're near no airport that I know of. And I listen for the airplanes. Why? Because I wonder, whenever I hear one, I pray and ask that it please be God sending one of you to come talk to me. This is a woman who couldn't get out of bed who was confined to her bed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Let me tell you a story about Raphael. Here he is. He, he was pretty mentally sharp. I mean, he was here not because of mental challenges, but because his family abandoned him. He couldn't work. He had no use of his legs. He couldn't provide for himself, and no one in his family would take care of him. So the last couple of years, people have brought him little gifts. He's got a CD player, brought him a CD or two. Um, and he asked this year, when I was there early in the week, if, if somebody could help him with a wheelchair. Because you see his wheelchair there on your right, it's about to fall apart. And he can't get around anywhere without it. Those are his legs. But one of the families on our team has a, been a part of a ministry that helps people around the world get carts. 
and you can see a picture of that cart, and they took it over to Raphael, and you can see him trying it out, and he's got the handles, and he turns those handles, and it'll cause him to move. I think you see in the next picture, he got it figured out, and he was off to the races. He's got this little patch of ground that he grows vegetables and fruit, and he was going out to check on them. And so he left that cart, and they became Raphael's legs. See, I'm moved by the story of the poor house of the infirmary because I think it's a picture of the gospel. Why do Americans give up their vacation, pay money to go down and visit sick, dying, forgotten people? People that Jesus called the least of these? Thousands of miles away that no one cares about, deplorable conditions. Why? Well, Because that's what God did for us. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, he left the throne of heaven and came to the deplorable conditions of this world, driven and motivated by love. By love, he laid aside all of his rights and privileges. By love, he entered into our problems. By love, he bore our sin on the cross. Why? Go there and show love to people no one cares about? Because God showed us love when no one cared about us. It's not just physical needs, though. We're also trying to partner with a church there, to plant a church. You might remember um, Clinton O'Connor, a Jamaican man, was here with me, standing right here a few months ago, and said thank you to the Crossing for your partnership as he starts a church there. There are about 40 people coming. It's tough going there, just like it is in anywhere you start a new church. One of the guys who kind of runs this mission project and was giving leadership to our team, he lives in Jamaica most of the time. He said, guys, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that today you are the answer to someone's prayer. See, there's been a single mom praying that someone would provide her a house. And today you came and worked on building that house. Someone in that infirmary had been praying, God, send someone to visit me. And you went, and you visit, and you talked, and you loved, and you read them scripture. You were the answer to someone's prayer. Four things I learned and keep learning every time I go back to Harmon's. First, there are enormous physical needs in the world. And God calls us to show mercy to people in need. There are enormous physical needs in the world, and God calls us to show mercy to the people with those needs. Almost half the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. 26,000 kids die each day from poverty, preventable diseases, malnourishment, 13 million orphans. Those are statistics, but they come alive when you know faces and names. Lee Strobel says in his book, uh, uh, the case of faith. He's got this cartoon in there. And there's, there's two turtles talking. And one turtle says, I, I, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty and famine and injustice when he could do something about it. And the other turtle looks back and says, I'm afraid God's going to ask me the same question. Proverbs 19:17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. 
One woman on our team wrote this, I wonder why God has given me so much. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I wonder why God has given me so much. You know, it is to my shame that I don't ask that question. You know the question I'm more prone to ask? Why has God given me so little? It's to my shame and my embarrassment to admit that. But it's true. Let's think about it now. Just, just in the privacy of your own thoughts, why has God given you and me so much? Because he's blessed us beyond measure. Why has he given us so much? From your understanding of Christianity, from your reading of Scripture, do you think that God has probably blessed you and I so much so that we can be comfortable? Do you think that God has blessed us so much because he just wants us to continue to build our little kingdom and just have a fun, cool life? Do you think that God has blessed me so much because he's really interested in me, Keith being a king in his own kingdom, and God just trying to help me build that kingdom bigger and bigger? Probably not. If you've read scripture at all, Even a little bit, if you're familiar with the story of the gospel, just a little bit, you know that the reason that God has blessed us is so that we could be a blessing to others. Second, I learn over and over and over that stuff, that comforts in this world, never satisfy. They never bring lasting happiness. Now that doesn't mean that when I got back to the States, I wasn't glad to have my first Hot shower in a long time. It doesn't mean that at all, because I was very glad. You know, you, when we go there, we try to live like the people, as close as we can, live like the people in Harmons. And so one of the ways we do that is we conserve water, because remember, water is a precious commodity. And so you get one two-minute cold shower uh, every day, two minutes. That's it. You're in and you're out. So you've worked all day, you're covered with dirt and concrete and sweat, and you get that two-minute cold shower, and about five minutes after that shower, you realize you're sweating again. But guess what? You've got 24 hours before your next shower. We don't have any technology. It wouldn't do you any good to have it because you can't get anything with it anyway. I was glad to get all that when I got back, but what I have to continue to remind myself is it's not stuff that brings any satisfaction. But, but for some reason, my heart has a hard time learning that. I think Jesus was talking to me when he said this in Luke 12, 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on guard. Why? Because greed is so subtle, so hard to detect. See, I, I, none of us here in this room think we're greedy. You don't think you're greedy. Greedy is what other people are, but not you. I mean, it's such a harsh word. But surely Jesus must have been talking to someone when he told us to watch out and be on guard. And the someone he was talking to was you and me. And as I spend time with people, as I get to know Jamaicans better, and I spend time visiting their families and sitting in their house, again, you know, I I see a joy in their life. I see a joy in the people at the infirmary. Not that their life is not filled with challenges and hardships, because it is an incredibly difficult existence. But there is something they have that transcends the stuff. Something that many Americans, many of us, many times I don't have. Proverbs 27, 20. 
Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. See, as long as I live my life, measure my life by my eyes and by what I want and my desires, I will never, ever be satisfied. That's what Scripture teaches me. One of the first times that we were there, my wife and I and our two older kids got to eat dinner in the house of a woman named Miss Tiny. And Miss Tiny is about, I don't know, five foot tall Jamaican woman, a widow. Uh, She never had, she told us in the course of dinner, she never had kids, but she raised uh, lots of kids in the community that for whatever reason needed a place to stay. She was incredibly poor. She had a little room with just her stuff in it, and then we ate dinner outside of that room. There were literally billy goats right here and chickens around our feet, and every bug known to God bit me that, that night. I don't know what I ate for dinner. I really don't. I just, we, we, just, we did it though. And we heard Miss Tiny's story, and her English wasn't at all perfect, but enough that we could pick up on it. There's some people on our trip, I haven't talked to her in a while, but there's some people on our trip this time who ran into her alongside the road and started a conversation, and they heard about her, and it reminded me of something she told me that night at dinner a few years ago. She said, I am poor, but I'm rich in Jesus. Until you sat there in her place, in her shoes, in her life, and heard her look at you in the eye, all five foot of her, I'm poor, but I'm rich in Jesus. I thought, I want to grow up to be like Miss Tiny someday. Number three, as great as people's physical needs are, their spiritual need is even greater. See, there's something wrong in my heart that I, as a defect, I promise, that I get more moved by people's physical needs than spiritual needs, that I'm more moved by their poverty, or I'm more moved by their handicap than I am, that they are lost and without a Savior and in their sin and under the judgment of God. But as I sit and I think, what if we gave everyone in Columbia, there's needs here, what if we could give everyone in Columbia, everyone in Missouri, everyone in the United States, everyone around the world, what if we could give them a house? What if we could give them a job? What if we could give them food? What if we could give them clothes? Everything that they needed. Then what? I just hear Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to give somebody a house, but not give them the, the truth about Christ? What good is it to give someone food but not the bread of life? What good is it to give them clothes but not the gospel? Over the years, I've had lots of spiritual conversations with Jamaicans. Turns out they're a lot like us. They're confused. They don't get the gospel. Nobody by by nature does. Every time someone believes the gospel is is because God intervened in their life and opened their heart so that they could see and believe. They have the same hole in their heart, the same questions that you and I have, but when they start to get it, the light comes on, the joy in their eyes, and you can see that they're understanding what God did for them in Christ. That's why God has sent us to the world, because there are people all over this world who need to hear about Jesus, who need to know His grace and His love and His mercy. Fourth, 
Serving others is the key to real and lasting happiness and fulfillment. Serving others is the key to real and lasting happiness and fulfillment. Have you lived long enough to figure that out? I don't mean with your life, because if you're like me, you continue to forget this over and over and over. I continue to fall into the lie, fall into the trap of thinking that I'm happiest when people are serving me. But, but if you live long enough to at least know, like I do, that that's not true, have you experienced enough of the joy that comes from serving others, sacrificing yourself for someone else, putting someone else's needs above your own? Maybe it's in your family. Probably should start there. Maybe it's at work or school or in your neighborhood or in your community that you're learning to die to yourself and die to your convenience and your comfort and your schedule so that you can serve a kid, so you can mentor someone, so that you can work at the food bank or at Granny's house or volunteer in a thousand different ways. Here at church, a thousand ways to die to yourself and serve others. Have you found that those are your best times? Even when they're hard, you learn. Even when it doesn't go like you planned, you learn. And you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You get to be a part of God's kingdom. You see, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that your life has blessing. His favor rests upon you when you're giving away life. Not when you're receiving and getting and hoarding and keeping. I had to put down a text for this sermon today. And... Um, I don't know if you know this, but the weekly email goes out on Thursday to everybody who signed up for it, and it has the sermon title and text, and I had to give them something to send out, and so I said, how about put Acts 29 down, Acts 29, and the next morning, uh, one of my friends showed up for a Bible study I'm in, and he said, uh, okay, I went to look and see what the sermon's about, there is no Acts 29, and it's true, a little trick on my part, uh, church humor, uh, put a little Acts 29 in there, and, and here's the reason. The, the book of Acts has 28 chapters, but although the book ends, the mission of God doesn't. See, we live today in Acts 29 because Jesus didn't stop working when he rose from the dead. He didn't stop working when the first century church died and left. Jesus is still at work today. He's still at work in this church. He's still at work in this world. He's still at work in your life. He's at work. We live in the days of Acts chapter 29 because God's still building His people. And we still get to be a part of it. Now my point here this morning, my aim, my goal, has not been to convince everyone you should move overseas. Maybe some of you should. to could be a missionary. But, but most of us aren't called to that. Maybe all of us should get a chance, if we had a chance at all, to, to go overseas at some point for a week like we did and spend some time on a short-term missions project just to have your eyes open to what God's doing around the world. But most of us aren't going to be called to do that for our whole life. But all of us, all of us, no exceptions, are called to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth in our own place of influence. All of us are called to do that. And through that, Christ is changing the world. 
You're like, oh, I'm changing the world. I mean, is he really changing the world? Isn't that a little idealistic? Maybe. But it's also biblical. See, because Jesus invested in 12 disciples that ended up changing the world. And had you seen it back then, you would have said, oh, Jesus, that's a little idealistic. But the same Jesus who is at work then is at work now. The same Jesus who is at work in those disciples' life is at work today in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Right now, there are thousands of people, I think thousands, in Columbia, Moberly, Mexico, Jefferson City, Ashland, wherever you live, wherever you work, thousands of people who are praying. God, I'm confused. God, I need help. God, I need a friend. God, I don't know what to do. Wouldn't you want to be an answer to their prayer? Maybe God's calling you to be an answer to their prayers. Music team's going to come back and they're going to prepare to lead us as we continue to sing. Um, before we close, though, let me just show you one more picture. This one, not from Harmons. This one is a picture of a monastery called St. Catherine's. It's located in uh, Egypt. And it was built at about 550 uh, A.D., so in the 6th century A.D. And the walls are high and thick, as you can see. And as you look there, just, is there anything that just jumps out at you that's missing? A door. Uh, there's no doors into this place. The only way you could get into until recently is they would pull you up. There's a little hole. They would put down a bucket. They would use pulleys to pull you up and pull you through the hole. See, they didn't want a lot of visitors. They weren't expecting anybody to drop by. And if they did, they didn't want them there. Those walls were meant to protect them, to keep the world out. If we're not careful, that's how our life becomes. If we're not careful, that's how the church can become. But God has called us to be his light. God has called us to be his witness. God has called us to tell people about Jesus and to share with them what he's blessed us with. Let's pray. Father, we hear your call. Your call to love and serve and go and proclaim. We pray, Lord, that our heart will be ready to hear it, receive it, obey it. We give you our heart, we give you our life, we give you everything that we are and have. And we ask you to take it and use our life to glorify your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.